Merry Christmas. Now don't worry, if you're a late shopper and you haven't actually got anything, there's 370 days left until Christmas 2021. <laughs> so don't stress. And actually, all jokes aside, that's kind of like me. I usually wait to the last minute to pick up things. But this year, I'm actually ahead of the game. But if you're a lot like me, waiting really doesn't work in your favor. For example, right now, at home, under our tree, there is a big, heavy present with my name on it. My wife knows what's inside it. My kids know what's inside it. And I don't. It's been there for like a week and a half. But the worst of it is this. I don't even remember asking for anything in particular. So I can't even guess as to what it might be. But there I am waiting. And for all I know, it could be that sweet New Testament commentary that, oh man, it would look so, so good on my bookshelf at work. If only someone would just buy that New Testament commentary for me. My mind gets lost in waiting. I tend to dream and say things out loud like that. So if anyone's listening, yeah. But I digress. I digress. This is what we see in the text today. We see a person and a people waiting in silence. They're trying to make sense of a seemingly impossible situation. Brother Paul mentioned it. Israel had been uh, waiting for in 400 years of silence for God. In fact, the last prophet to speak, that, and this is what Paul said earlier, was, was Malachi at the close of the Old Testament. Now, even though God had been silent for these 400 years, the world was anything but. The Ptolemies ran wild, the Seleucids ran amok, the Jews tried to establish a royal dynasty under the, under the Hasmoneans. The Egyptians and the Romans were out conquering and overtaking people, and there was this big revolt against the Romans by a group of Jews called the Maccabeans, and quite literally... Israel was caught up in it in some way, shape, or form. So it's not hard to imagine that the people were desperate for change. They were desperate for God to break his silence. They were desperate for God to remember his people. Not only does God remember his people, but he completely shatters his silence in doing so. So quite simply, I'm calling my sermon, God Remembers. And if there's anything I want you to take away from today, it's this. God is in control. Even when everything feels hopeless and uncertain, and even when, he, when it feels like he's not there, he is. Oh, my friends, he is. Now, contrary to what the world says about Christmas, let me just make one thing clear. Christmas is about God. It's about hope. It's about God stepping into this mess that we call life and remembering the promises that he made a long, long time ago. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to see a person and a people waiting and trying and looking to answer a seemingly impossible situation, both personally for Zechariah and Elizabeth, and nationally for the people of Israel. You see, Zechariah was looking for proof. Elizabeth was looking for a child. And Israel was looking for her savior. From Zechariah and Elizabeth's perspective, though, Having a child would have solved, solved many, many problems. And Israel, having their savior, too, would have solved many of their problems as well. At least so they thought. But when you consider who God is and his plan to save mankind, his overarching plan of redemption, there's nothing that's going to stand in the way of God fulfilling his promises. And so if you're taking notes, my first point is this. God overcomes. God overcomes. You know, time and time again, 
my understanding of God bursts. Just like a bubble, I'm constantly being reminded of the grandeur and the sovereignty and the certainty that is in the will of God. And I just want to remind us, I just want to lay it on the table. I believe that God has a plan for every one of us. He has a plan in his will, and that includes each and every one of you. I'm convinced of it. I I don't believe that God makes mistakes. When he calls you to live overseas, that might be his will. He might call you to serve here in St. John's. He might just call you to do life, to work at Sobeys, to be a teacher, whatever. But the thing is, is that he calls each and every one of us in some capacity for his glory and in his will. And there's nothing that's going to stop this. Nothing's going to stop him from fulfilling his will for you or for Newfoundland or for Canada or for the world. Neither your fears, your uncertainties, your disbelief, or your doubts. Nothing. In fact, this is what it says in Philippians. It is he, God, who started a good work in you and he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And if this is true for us, then this was equally true for Zechariah and Elizabeth. In verses 5 to 7, we see Dr. Luke, the same Luke who wrote Luke and Acts. He introduces us to this interesting couple. Now, when you consider everything about Zechariah and Elizabeth, it would be extremely easy to pass them off as unlikely candidates to fulfill God's purpose. In fact, it would make more sense for a couple in their 20s when they can still have kids to do what God is about to do. I mean, this would be the natural conclusion, not an elderly couple and a bunch of other things that I'll look at in a few moments. Zechariah doesn't exactly fit the bill. Almost everything we know about him actually works against him. Check this out. So Zechariah was one of thousands of priests to serve in the temple. And not every priest served in the same capacity. There's multiple ways you could serve and multiple jobs to do. And in fact, certain priests only served once in their lifetime. Sometimes, like I said, it was just once off. That's it. You do your duty and you're done for life. In fact, this is Zechariah. He was commissioned this day to serve in the temple to burn incense. And just to let you guys know, you did this once. So if you did this in your 20s, you're done. For the rest of your life, you never called upon again. You're done. And not only that, but Zechariah was chosen by casting lots. The truth be told, this whole casting lots thing, it kind of, it seemed like it stopped at around Pentecost or shortly thereafter, but it was ultimately used to determine God's will. One of the more famous examples, Adam is preaching through Jonah. If you remember when, this, when the storm came upon the ship, the sailors cast lots to figure out who would be thrown overboard. Or if you look in the New Testament, you see the apostles casting lots to determine who would replace Judas. But if we want to simply reduce this to mere chance that Zechariah would be chosen this day, the odds are ridiculously slim. He was one of 300 priests in his family alone to be chosen. So not only did he burn, sorry, not only did he not burn incense, but he was chosen out of a thou- like thousands of priests, but he was old. All right? and there's nothing wrong with being old. There's some really great people. In fact, you're all great. But he was old, and so was his wife. In fact, Luke tells us that both of them were well along in years. And from a worldly perspective, guys, they just don't fit the bill. They don't fit the bill for fulfilling God's purposes. Let's put Zechariah aside for a second. Let's just talk about Elizabeth. Here's the elephant in the room for Elizabeth. She couldn't have kids. Now, this, in the first century, this was extremely shameful for a woman 
to not be able to have kids. In fact, some people looked at this as God cursing a woman for, not being able, for, for committing a sin or for someone in her life committing a sin. But it wasn't just with pregnancy. Remember back to John 9. This is what it says in John. As he was passing by, that is, Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus responded, neither this man nor his parents. See, this was a commonly held belief in the first century that certain physical disabilities were caused by a sin that you had committed at some point in your life or even your parents. But Luke goes out of his way in verse 6 to make it clear that Elizabeth's infertility was not caused by sin. She was an upright lady in the eyes of God. So all things considered, let's just piece it all together here. Zechariah and Elizabeth are well along in years. He's one of thousands of priests to be chosen. He's chosen seemingly randomly by lot. Elizabeth was unable to have children. In some sense, they would have been seen as social outcasts in society, in certain circles of society. But then again, there's no mistakes with God. It's not coincidence that he chose to speak with a guy and to reveal to a man after 400 years the next stage of his redemptive plan. And his name was, sorry, Zechariah's name quite literally was the Lord remembered. There's no coincidence in that. Now, truth be told, from Zechariah and Elizabeth's perspective, God had been silent for the 400 years. There's no doubt about that. 400 years of silence, 400 years of nothing, 400 years of no messages, 400 years of no prophets. Like, this is complete radio silence. Almost five generations had been born and died and nothing from God. And maybe you feel like that today. Maybe you feel like you're doing it. Maybe you feel like you're devoting your life to God. Maybe you're being that living, living sacrifice in Romans 12. Maybe you're praying. Maybe you're serving. Maybe you're searching. And yet... There's radio silence. Or on the flip side, maybe you're not. Maybe you're running. Maybe you're just doing the motions and actually you're putting on a front to make people think that you got it all together. Maybe you're not reading your Bible. Maybe you haven't really spent time in prayer for goodness knows how long. And maybe you feel like in God's silence he's forgotten you, but I can tell you right now, Calvary, he hasn't. In fact, in five days we celebrate that God became a perfect man to be the perfect sacrifice for the rest of us imperfect people. We celebrate the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Yes, you may feel like God is silent, but he's not absent. In fact, when he, is, when he, when he, when he feels like he's silent, he, he's really calling us to be silent and know that he is God. And in five days, we'll celebrate the fact that God remembered his people. Not only did he remember his people Israel, but he remembered you, he remembered me, he remembers every single person sitting there and every single person watching online. He hasn't forgot about any of us. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth shouldn't have been the prime candidates to kickstart the next phase of God's redemptive story, but Calvary, I want you to hear this. There's nothing too big or too difficult for God to handle because when he remembers his promises, he remembers his promises and this is my second point. Just like my sermon title, God Remembers. Now I'm going to read through verses 8 to 12 and then we'll break it down, break it apart a bit more. When he, his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot. 
according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. You know, as I prepared for today, it dawned on me. Here we are in December 2020. We are now 10 months into this COVID pandemic, and yet I think a lot of us would agree with me when I say we can't wait for 2021 to roll around. I think if you're like me, you'd like to go back to bed and wake up in 2021. I'm seeing some head nod, yep. Um, but hey, this is, this is where we are. But hopefully in 2021, things will change. I mean, there's the COVID vaccine. Hopefully, yeah, we'll see some brighter days in the future. But what if it doesn't? All right? What if it doesn't? What if next year in January, February, we find that there is a, a major flaw in the COVID vaccine and everything was rolled back and we're back to lockdowns, we're back to social distancing. What would it look like if we had to wait another 399 years for a vaccine to come out? And there was nothing for 400 years. What would you do with the uncertainty and fear and unrest? But this was Israel, guys. Let's not forget that. This was Israel for 400 years. From the closing of Malachi to Zechariah and Elizabeth was 400 years. 400 years of uncertainty, of fear, unrest, of pleading, of petitioning, and praying to God for him to speak again. Yes, God was silent. There's no denying that. But he hadn't forgotten. He didn't forget the promise he made 400 years ago to Malachi for, look, I'm going to send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. The Lord knew exactly what he was doing. He always does. His timing is perfect, even if it doesn't make sense. But at the hour of incense, as it says in verse 10, the whole assembly of the people were praying outside and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. Like, guys, I want, I, I, this, as I was preparing for today and I was looking into this, I was just caught up in the reality or trying to figure out how Zechariah would have felt uh, serving on this day. And, and, and this day would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him, quite literally. He would have waited his whole life for this moment to burn incense in the holy place. This was a day, no doubt, that he would have dreamed of over and over and over again. But don't forget, Zechariah would have waited month after month after month and possibly year after year after year to hear once again, sorry, you weren't chosen. His anticipation and excitement to be chosen would have been through the roof. No doubt, though, leading up to this day, there would have been a couple practice runs. But today was the real deal for him. He got to go inside the holy place and burn incense to the living God. But this was no joking matter for Zechariah. All feelings, feelings of excitement aside, this was a great honor, a huge responsibility to the priest who would offer incense to the Lord. Now, yes, Zechariah had help. When you look at how the temple functioned, he had help. He had two assistants, and they helped him bring coals from the great altar outside into the holy place on the inside. 
And once they helped him do that, I imagine they slowly backed up and exited behind him and left him all alone. Wouldn't want to fall now. They left him all alone. Alone with God, alone to burn incense, and alone to consider that a curtain separated him from God, right? This was a 60-foot high curtain that was as thick as a man's hand that separated him from the living God. I can only imagine what went through his mind. But waiting wasn't anything new for Zechariah. In fact, when you look at his life, you see a man who is constantly waiting. Zechariah would have waited in hope every time he and Elizabeth tried to have kids to find out that she wasn't pregnant. Zechariah would have waited in hope every month to find out if he would serve in the temple, but he didn't. And he would have waited in hope as the, lot, as the lots were cast. And when Zechariah received the news that he would serve, he had to wait some more. And yet now Zechariah is waiting again to be given the signal to light the incense. In fact, when you look at the text, we don't even know if Zechariah got to burn the incense or not. It, it, it doesn't tell us. People were outside praying. He was praying. And all we're told is that an angel appeared on the right side of the altar of incense with a message for Zechariah that God remembered his prayers. And I think this is a lot like us this time of the year, is it not? I, I don't, guys, I don't care what anyone says. On December 25th, we will all wake up and there will all, we will all have some element of excitement inside of us, whether it's our kids bouncing off the walls or it's us just barely functioning, waiting for our coffee to take effect, but we will all be excited. And if you're not, come speak with me on the 26th We'll, we'll get it sorted out. <laughs> but you come to Christmas morning and you see that box and you think, what's in it? What's inside of it? Is this what I've been asking for? <gasps> it's heavy. But it gets much worse. This gift has been under the tree for a few weeks and you've been sitting there looking at it, waiting to open it, waiting to see what's inside of it. And then you open it and it's exactly what you've asked for. Or maybe it's just a can of tomato soup. <laughs> now, you, you guys laugh, okay? But my father-in-law, this is what he does. And I, I've kind of taken this tradition on myself. So every Christmas, we give like a gag gift. We might, you know, wrap up a potato or a can of soup. Or that, that's a freebie. You guys can have that. My kids love it. They're, they're great. But, this is, but Zechariah got exactly what he had been praying for. But let me bring this back to Christmas for just a quick second. What if you asked for something... And your parents said to you, yep, you got it. And they said it in complete honesty. And then you said, give me proof. I don't know about you, but as a parent, I'd be like, really? Seriously, you're going to play me like that? Zechariah had spent 40 years, maybe 50, praying for, longing, and hoping for a child. That God would answer his prayer, but little did, little did he realize that God was also answering the prayer of thousands upon thousands of people before him. In fact, God is going to make good on a promise that he promised Eve way back in the Garden of Eden. He's not just answering the prayers of the people outside or of Zechariah. He's answering the prayers of people for thousands of years. No, John the Baptist, let's just clarify this, he wasn't the Messiah. 
He's the forerunner. He's the one who would announce that the Messiah would come. He's the guy who would announce to Israel that her Savior had arrived. But you see, this is the reality. We're so busy playing checkers, but God is playing five-dimensional chess. We pray for one thing, but we have no idea how that prayer will play out in the weeks or months or years to come. When Gabriel told Zechariah that his prayer was heard, <laughs> I want you guys to realize this. All of us were part of that. You're all here today because God answered Zechariah's prayer. Like, just dwell on that for a second. You're sitting here today in 2020 because God answered Zechariah's prayer. Then he answered Mary's prayer. John foretold or prepared the people of Israel for Christ. Christ came, lived, died, resurrected. Someone put their faith in that message, told someone they put their faith in that message, and so on and so on. You are here because of something that happened 2,000 years ago. And if that doesn't cause you to praise God, come see me after this message and we'll talk to you. <laughs> so when you say your prayers at night, Lord, would you just heal? Would you save my friend? For you, that's the all-consuming prayer. This powerful, sovereign God might answer that prayer, but you have no idea what that could lead to. So when God says, wait, do you realize now that wait might have nothing to do with you, but wait could have everything to do with not yet? In fact, imagine if you prayed to God to save, let's say, your mom, and he responded with this. I've heard your prayer, but you have no idea what that prayer means for Mary Sue in 2023. In fact, you don't even know Mary Sue. In fact, next year, your mom's going to come down with a horrible illness. She's going to come to the point of death. She's going to be in the hospital, and she's going to cry out to me, and she's going to put her faith in me, and I will save her. But as a result, she's going to befriend the nurse who's named Mary Sue. And because your mom got saved, she's going to tell the gospel to Mary Sue. And Mary Sue is going to get saved. This is the divine chess game that we don't see. And all this is to say, guys, keep praying. Don't stop. Even when it, when it doesn't make sense and when you feel like God is silent, keep praying and rest knowing that we have a Savior who constantly intercedes on our behalf always. He never stops. He's always in prayer for us. This is the promise of Hebrews 7. And this is my third point. God promises. Verses 13 to 17, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or alcohol. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. There's the Malachi prophecy again. And the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Like, can, you, can you imagine being Zechariah on this day? laying in fear moments before, not knowing what this message would be, and then you hear, <laughs> do not be afraid, Zechariah. Isn't it interesting that the first words that God speaks in this gospel is do not be afraid. Everything before that's narrative, but the first words that God speaks are do not be afraid. Now, yes, he's talking to Zechariah, but humans are creatures of habit. Certainly Zechariah was as well. 
You know, we certainly like routines and, and patterns and for life to just go smoothly, do we not? But, and like when you consider all things, Zechariah, for Zechariah, this would have been a pretty routine day or should have been a routine day. But throw a curveball in the mix or put us in unfamiliar situations and well, naturally we will start to fear and anxiety will increase. Humans weren't originally created by God to fear. In fact, most of us have irrational fears like being afraid of Friday the 13th. I'm not even joking. Upwards of 21 million people in the States, well, that's probably not fair to say the States, but let's just say 21 million people, I can't retract that, uh, fear Friday the 13th for no other reason than it's Friday the 13th. But then there are the bigger things in life. There's the fear of death, the fear of separation, fear of the unknown, and in a lot of cases, the fear when you realize that you're not God, but this is where Satan wants you. He wants you to believe that you are God, that you are in control, that you command your destiny. So it's not hard to imagine Satan whispering in your ear, you think he's going to tell you his plan? Surely God didn't say. He didn't tell Adam and Eve. Why would he tell you? In fact, when was the last time he actually spoke to you? How's that silence going anyway? But listen to me. You control your life. You have the final say. Your empire is the only thing that matters. Look out for your interests and your interests alone. Be certain of only what you can do. Unfortunately, time and time again, we all fall for this trap, despite God telling us that he is God, that he is the rock, he is the fortress, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He named every star and numbered every hair in our head. He is the one who fearfully and wonderfully made us. He is the one who pursues us, and he is the one who paid it all on the cross to save us, amen? So when God says, do not be afraid, he means it. You can take your fears to him. You can take your anxieties to him. You can take everything to him because he is God and he is sovereign. He knows more about you than you know about yourself. The truth is this, all right, Calvary? The truth is this. God loves to hear our doubts, anxieties, fears, and concerns. He loves to answer our questions, but it is a sin to let disbelief settle into our hearts, or as Daniel Darling says, an unwillingness to trust that God can do the impossible. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth longed for a child, but they too, like Israel, longed for Yahweh's redemption. Now, although there's debate on, on what prayer was heard when he was praying, whether it was for a child or for the nation of Israel, and in fact, I'm convinced it's for both, God heard Zechariah's prayer. As a priest on this day, he would have lifted up the prayers of the people for God to save and redeem the nation. But it's not hard to imagine that he would have prayed for himself and his wife. Not only would God remember the prayers of Zechariah and Elizabeth and give them a child, but this child is destined for something to be much more than just their child. John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. He would come in the power of Elijah and like Elijah and the prophets before him, John will come with a message of repentance and judgment to the people of Israel. Ultimately, John the Baptist would have one job, to point people to Christ, and that's it. And what can only be irony when you look at the text, how does Zechariah respond? How can I know this? In other words, give me your proof. Now here's a guy, outwardly, who would have ticked all the boxes. He knew how to serve in the temple according to its customs and rules. 
He knew what things to say and do. He was a man of prayer, but how he responds to Gabriel reveals that he really wasn't expecting his prayer to be answered. He was filled with disbelief and cynicism. But here's the sad part. Zechariah knew full well that God could overcome their circumstances. For a man who spent his entire life studying the scriptures, it seems to me like he forgot, forgot about Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Samson's mother and Hannah and David's first wife, Michal. He had forgotten that God supernaturally opened their wombs. Or maybe he had simply given up hope. You see, for Zechariah, it was easier for him to trust in God to come to him enough for prayer. But when his prayer was answered, it was little to trust in him. He just couldn't do it. Here's my fourth point real quick. God fulfills his promises. Verse 19 to 20. The angel answered, the angel answered him, excuse me, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled at their proper time. I don't know about you guys. But sometimes when I get a tongue lashing, it puts me in my spot, right? Especially if I do something real big. There's a whole lot of words I wanted to inject there, but <laughs> big will do for today. And I don't know about you, but being rebuked like that from an angel, yeah, I, that, I would be put in my place pretty quick. Not only is Gabriel one of two angels mentioned by name in the Bible, but he stands in the presence of God, and when he speaks, he speaks as the voice of God. To disbelieve the words of Gabriel is to disbelieve the very words of God. And here's the crazy part. For a man who moments earlier cowered in fear, and just a little side note, Brother Paul preached on this a couple weeks back. The typical response that people had when they encountered angels in scriptures to fall on their face in fear. You see, angels weren't these little tiny naked babies that floated on clouds like Cupid or, or whatever. That's, no, no. These were, go read the description in Ezekiel and tell me if you can't stand there and say, whoa, right? Angels were things that you just, you, you, you're struck with fear. And so for a guy, <clears throat> excuse me, for a guy who cowered in fear just moments before, he now has the veracity to question this divine message. Like that's ludicrous, that's crazy to question whether God actually knew what he was doing or not. Man, but Zechariah would get his sign. Oh, he would. He himself will become the very thing he asked for. Check this out. This is what one commentator says about the, the, the fact that his, his lips were shut. You see, when the priest emerged from the temple, he was to pronounce a blessing on the people. Zechariah must have known that he would have to explain what had happened inside the holy place and was afraid that no one would believe what he promised. Thus, he asked for a sign. His speechlessness was an appropriate discipline for Zechariah, and it served to announce that something wonderful was about to happen. What Zechariah could have announced with his tongue, God announced through his silence. I mean, there's the age-old saying that actions speak louder than words. And in this moment, the silence of God was shattered with the deafening silence of Zechariah. But make no mistake, not even Zechariah's disbelief will stand in the way of God remembering and fulfilling his promises. 
not with Zechariah and Elizabeth, not with Israel, and definitely not for the rest of the world. In time, as you read on, Elizabeth falls pregnant. Mary falls pregnant. Elizabeth gives birth to John. Mary gives birth to Jesus. And the rest, as they say, is history. So here's the thing. All right, here's the thing. God had never forgotten about his people. He heard their prayers and petitions. Ultimately, this whole message is about trust. Yeah? Do you trust God when life seems uncertain? Do you trust God when all feels hopeless? Do you trust him when it feels like he's silent? Do you trust that he's working all things out for his glory and his purposes? Don't forget, this whole book from Genesis to Revelation is a testimony that he remembers his promises. And he's come good on every single one of them. God is never late, he's never silent, and he's working all things out for his glory. He understands our anguish. He understands our pains and our hurts and our longings. He understands that all creation is groaning to be in perfect relationship with its creator again. He understands the chaos that sin is causing. And on a single day, 2,000 years ago, God shattered the silence and broke into the world in a way that no one expected. God revealed it to Zechariah and Elizabeth. The angels proclaimed it. Herod tried to destroy it. Simeon and Anna trusted in it. God's sovereign history displayed it. And God's amazing love applied it. So the question that I want to leave you today and into Christmas and for the rest of the year is will you accept it? Will you trust it? Well, I said one question, but I got three questions. Will you accept it? Will you trust it? And will you live your life in it? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Lord, it's a great privilege to be able to speak your word, to preach it, to explain it. And Lord, I I hope and I pray that the message I spoke today was better than what I actually said. Lord, I do thank you for the fact that you are sovereign I thank you, Lord, that you are working all things out for your glory. I do pray, Lord, that you would convict us. Draw us into you, Lord. Save people in our city this Christmas, this day, this hour. Lord, we love you. We praise you for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will do into the future for your glory. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.